This is the Business Storytelling Show with Christoph Trapp. Name a top 20 storytelling podcast and a top 5% podcast globally. Christoph chats with thought leaders and experts to share tips and tricks that can help you tell your company's stories better to drive business results. Available wherever you listen to podcasts, live streamed on major social media channels, and part of the DB&A television network, available on most U.S. television sets and streaming on Roku and Amazon Fire. Here's Christoph with today's episode. Let's go. Let's go, business storytellers. How's everyone doing? Hey, thanks for joining us. Today, we want to talk about how practice makes perfect. However, is it even possible to be perfect? I, I don't know. So you might remember back in November, we had Seth Godin on the show. Um, back then, we didn't even do video. We didn't do very many live streams. We definitely didn't do DBNA television at that time. Um, but let me give you a little bit of a flashback here for about 45 seconds, what Seth Godin had to say when it comes to being perfect. Well, there's a big difference between perfectionism and making something that's really good. Perfectionism is an industrialized, sanctioned way of hiding. It is a way of saying, my fear cannot be criticized because I'm afraid on behalf of perfection. So don't you dare take this away from me. Don't you dare tell me I've got to ship it because, of course, it's not perfect. But the very nature of perfectionism is that it can't be perfect, that every note cannot be in tune and every word cannot be spelled right and every interaction cannot be ideal. However, if we decide perfect or nothing, we get nothing, which is what the thing that wants to hide is hoping for. And as I mentioned many times, you can't get anything to perform if you never publish it. So today's guest, Ann Janzer, she's a writing coach, wrote a couple books um, that you can check out on Amazon. If you're watching on the Amazon live stream, they are the featured item in the carousel. And welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. And I, I love that you opened with that that quote from Seth Godin. It's it's fantastic. Uh, because what I'm going to talk about is is giving yourself permission to be the opposite of perfect, but be really messy and have fun with it. <laughs> be, be, be really messy. Well, I am pretty good at being messy. Um, but uh, so tell us about how do you even practice and how do you stay? Uh, how do you stay, you know, keep that top of mind? I mean, why is it so difficult for people? First of all, we all... Um, you know, we all have this, this baggage we carry around about what practice is. I don't know. Did you have to take piano lessons as a kid or instrument lessons? You know, we all were told, you know, make sure you practice and we never did. <laughs> you know? So it's this chore, it's this expectation. And, and, and there's also this, this, when you're practicing something, your inner critic, right? That voice of perfectionism that Seth addresses so much is, is often right there going, Oh man, you just, do not dream of going to Carnegie Hall here, you know, right? <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, so we bring a lot of baggage with it. Uh, and I think it's really important to shift the way we think about um, practice. Just quickly, my story is um, I spent a career working in marketing as a writer. I work a lot at the intersection of marketing and writing. And then I started writing books and I started researching what makes really good, effective nonfiction writing. 
I kept coming back to storytelling, of course. When I was in marketing, you know, I started marketing in the 90s. And, you know, our idea of a business, of a storytelling was to put something in a problem solution results format on a data sheet and say, look, I told a story. Good on me, you know. <laughs> um, so I never, you know, it wasn't at that time the sense of storytelling as a fundamental marketing skill was not a mainstream concept. Um, and of course, that has evolved. I always felt like I was on the other side of that storytelling. It's like, well, I'm a good writer, but I, you know, I, I can't make up stories. I'm terrible at that. Um, and it became clear as I was working with authors and writing books that clearly story is such an important way to connect with people that I had to include it. And I had to actually shift the way I think about myself as a storyteller. So January 1st of 2020, 2021, this year, I sat down with a, a journal uh, that I'd gotten as a gift because I asked for it here. This is a journal. There you go. And um, my favorite pen. And I said, I'm going to try to write a story in this journal every day, all year, one story, just to summon a story out of air, just to practice. And I'm not showing this to anyone right? I'm, I'm being messy. I'm experimenting. I'm going to see what happens. Um, and just take advantage of that cumulative power of practice, which is, you know, as close to magic as we have in our lives. Practice is just such a wonderful thing. Um, and here we are, and, you know, you and I are talking now in July, mm -hmm. and I have, I've done, you know, I'm on my second journal, <laughs> right? Um, I've done every now and then I miss a day. And so I do two the next day. You know, I made up the rules. I can, I can bend them. It's okay. Um, but it shouldn't surprise me, but I'm still delighted at the results. Not only do I feel like I'm better at picking stories out of the air and starting to tell them, but little things like um, just the, the fun I've had uh, mm -hmm. doing it, reliving memories. Cause I, I, I can't do a lot of stories for, things out in the world because I haven't been out in the world. We've all been indoors. Um, talking to people, talking to my mom, sharing stories. I mean, uh, how much fun that is. Even my handwriting has improved when I'm being intentional about it. It's like that I didn't expect. Um, so, so that was my practice uh, journal, practice experiment. And, and there's a couple things to highlight there is one is that Mm -hmm. I'm just treating it like an experiment. It's not a drudge. It's not a chore. It's something fun to experiment with. So, you, you know, what's kind of interesting about that comment about um, it's a chore back in the day. And I think that's actually, um, I, I don't know how we can get around that, but it is, right? A lot of the things I do today, that used to be a homework assignment in school, or that used to be a test or whatever it might be. So how do we even get around that, right, to change that mindset? I honestly don't think of live streaming as a chore. I don't think of writing as a chore. Now, I got to kind of figure out, um, I got to find the right mindset, the right mood, those different things. Um, but then I just, you know, I just keep going. You keep learning things. You keep practicing things. And it's funny when... Uh, when I look at old shows, you know, how how much better it is today. Um, and, and even, you know, when the, the show with Seth, I mean, I was sitting on my couch. Uh, we didn't do video. And partially that was because the way his book was launching. But 
Um, there was no live stream. There was nothing like that. We didn't have a fancy background. We didn't have any lights or a microphone. So it just kind of evolves. And it's, I don't want to say it's, it's, I treat it like a, a little bit like a hobby. Like I like it. I like to do it. But you kind of have to have that mindset too, right? Otherwise, how are you going to, how is it going to move away from being a chore? Yeah. If, if, if there's absolutely no joy in the thing that you're practicing, you know, well, life's too short, right? Why, 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 if you hate playing the tuba, don't practice the tuba. I mean, what, unless it, right. Um, so you got to find the joy. Um, you also have to recognize that, you know, sure, there's going to be days where it's like harder than others. And that is just part of it. Um, but can you, you know, so some days my story is really short. It's like, I'm tired. <laughs> I, I, I come up with something, just a small little vignette to say. And sometimes I start a, a story and it just trails off. And I'm like, you know what? This didn't turn out to be a story. Huh. I learned something from that too. You know, just don't set the bar so high that you're going to try to, you know, we let's go back to this perfectionism. I, I do these by hand in a journal. So there is zero temptation for me to put them on the blog, on, on a blog or to share them online. They are not ready. This is fodder for me. It does not have to be perfect. Um, you know, the same thing if you're a musician, you know, you'll sit and just practice a little passage of something. It would drive the average listener nuts to hear you doing that. But that's how you do it to get better at being able to execute that passage. That's that's the nature of it. And the joy, if the joy doesn't come inherently from the thing itself, then the joy can come from a sense of progress. If, if you're like, look, I, I, I've tracked it. You, you need to find all the bits of joy you can, whether it's I've made this progress, whether it's I've kept a commitment and I've done this once every day for 30 days and now I have 30 stubs of a story or whatever it may be, uh, find something to give you, and you may need different things, different, maybe it's going to be, when I do it every day for a week, I'm going to go get ice cream, or, you know, I don't know, it could be anything, we used to uh, do an ice cream thing for my son to play, practice the saxophone when he was younger, worked great, you know, so, uh, so find ways to, to work with that, and find, find the joy, reinforce so yourself when when you do like a journal or or i i did like the daily i don't remember what it was called i did it maybe in 2014 the daily positive story and i did publish that it didn't go very deep it was just you know sometimes a paragraph sometimes two uh, and i think after at the end of the year it was maybe ten thousand words you know so yeah. over over the, the the span of a year it's not like a ton but it is something every day now, when you practice like this more in private or whatever, how can you translate that into, you know, your marketing storytelling? And I, I you know, I also have been there where, you know, I, I can relate to the model you mentioned earlier, where it's like the problem, whatever, a solution. And, you know, we're the best. Like, that's not storytelling. <laughs> Get, you know, this is state of the art. I mean, stop it. Keep your superlatives in your pocket. I don't want to hear them. So, but but how does that translate into, I mean, so the one thing I think about sometimes is I sometimes talk to writers and I say, why do you think, why would you be a good person in this role? And sometimes their answer is, I really enjoy writing. Well, I also enjoy watching the NFL, but I'm, I, I can't play in the NFL. Do you know what I mean? So, like, how do you translate 
that ongoing practice into into the, the I don't say the real world, but the business world. Sure. So because, you know, to be honest, if we practice bad habits, <laughs> we just get better at them. So yeah. let's let's yeah. let's just put that out there. Right. Um, uh, so for me, what I was trying to practice in this was the act of summoning stories of stopping of not freezing in my tracks when someone says, tell me a story and going, uh, I don't have one, you know, so now I've demonstrated to myself, yes, I have them. Um, but you need to bring some intention and some curiosity to what you're doing. So let's say you're practicing writing stories and you'd like to be able to tell better business stories. Um, so what you might do would be to practice, uh, writing it down the first day. And what, what comes out usually in my first drafts is, full of exposition. It's like, let me give you the full background and da, 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 da. No one would want to read this. Come back the next day and say, okay, now what would, how would a reader want to hear this story? Take another pass at it. Um, you know, how might I add a little bit of dialogue? What might we have said? Or, you know, just uh, pick a different aspect of the storytelling and work on the third time and say, how would I say this in only a hundred words? If I only had a hundred words. So bring yourself to that. So, mm. so take different angles through it. Um, my, my strongest advice as a, as a developmental editor or a writing coach is mm -hmm. uh, look at it from your reader's perspective. Change hats and try to approach it like your reader. Um, and then here's another tip for any business story, uh, business storyteller. Any story in which the hero of the story is a piece of software or a brand is not a compelling story. You know, we, we need people. So make sure that, that your story is actually populated. Look at what you've written and say, okay, who's the hero? What are they trying to do? You know, the hero would better not be my software, better not be my brand. You know, um, I, I think for customer business stories, your brand should be like Harry Potter's wand, an important part of the story but the hero is the customer using the wand, right? The hero is Harry Potter, not, not, not the wand. Nobody wrote the story from the wand's perspective, right? Um, so, so identify the elements. What's the theme of this story that I've written? Who are they, what's the character and what is it they're trying to do and what's their conflict? Um, it's a really interesting way to just sort of look at what you've written and then reapproach it from a different angle. It's, for some reason, that is harder than it sounds for a lot of brands. Because, and I think it's partially because... Um, they're living their life, right? They're not they're not living the customer's life per se. Yeah. They're they're living in their own little world, and and that's I think why people do it. And that's sometimes why you see those stories out there where people you know say, "Today I bought a Snickers bar, and here's how that relates to marketing or whatever." Which that model of storytelling isn't necessarily bad, but I think the way some people pull it off is kind of annoying. Um, so really quick plug here, uh, Vox Pop Me, uh, that's my day job, voxpopme.com. Check them out. You can um, get customer feedback at scale through video surveys. So if you're not talking to your customers and you're not making your customers your heroes, this is one way to do it, voxpopme.com. That's from the Latin word, voice of the people, by the way. I took Latin in school back in Europe, but... Don't ask me. I don't know any anything else. All right. And tell us, why do people get out of practice? And I, I have one theory because we're in too many meetings all day long because we're. <laughs> 
doing stuff that doesn't help us get anything done. And so content marketers, content creators, you know what they should be doing all day with their time. They should be creating content. They should be optimizing content. They should be looking at the numbers. They should test new things. They should play with live streams. Here's the latest thing that we're doing on social media. We're replaying the live streams. And the, the, time, the one time, so far I've done it one time, the numbers are fantastic, which is totally opposite from what you think live streaming should be. You replay a live stream. Now the social media network becomes a, a, a you know a TV station too. Why are people getting out of out of practice? I mean, are they just sitting on their couch and watch yeah. the NFL? You know, you know, I I, I think it's the, the other thing you said that there are so many cabillion demands on our time. Oh my gosh, I could spend my whole time dealing with email and never writing a word. You know, that would be that would be really easy. So so some of the content marketers' job requires that deep work. You know, as Cal Newport would say, deep work. Right? You need that time where you're just like leave me alone. And some of the time you need to be uh, out in the world. But you know what? So, so creativity comes from um, associative thinking, not linear thinking. It, it, it comes from uh, the ability to be in a state where your mind can kind of wander, where you can observe. So if we're all feeling pressed to the metal to get through all of our emails, uh, to to do all this stuff, then we are not nurturing the kind of mindset that mindset that can help us be more creative. Um, and then, as you said, uh, the perspective shift to your customers, that's probably the most important thing for a content marketer is to get out your get out of your own head, speak to your customers, put yourself in your customers' shoes, because they are not just, you know, roles or buyers or, or personas. They're, they're people um, like you are. And, you know, so think about how you are a customer to someone else and what appeals to you and think, ha, huh, well, I wonder if that would appeal to my customers. I mean, just keep shifting your perspective. Yeah, I think so. What's interesting too, when I grew up in journalism, you know, back back in the day, the one of the editors always says, "Well, you guys, why is everybody sitting in the newsroom? There's no stories in the newsroom." Now, today that's a little bit different because, quite frankly, I don't really leave this chair all that much. I mean, well, sometimes <laughs> I stand up, right? But but I'm right here, and I talk to people all over the place. Um, so it's a little bit different today, but, but, it, but the core message of what he was saying still applies. You still have to talk to people, whether you do it on Zoom or, or Switcher Studio or Vox Pop Me or whatever, it doesn't make any difference, right? But you still have to talk to people. There's no stories here. I can't get the knowledge out of your head to our listeners if I'm not talking to you. But So why is yeah. it so hard? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think, you know, again, there's there's all kinds of things. There's that fear of showing up and, and asking the question, you know, they're saying I'm working on a story about, you know, if if you're like me. So I didn't come from a journalism background. I came from a marketing background. And when I started working on books, I felt very weird about contacting people to interview them. It's like, well, maybe I should just email them the questions. I mean, I'm not a real journalist. Right. I mean, the <laughs> imposter syndrome is you know, something we all struggle with, that that sense of trying to be perfect, or this is something I'm not. So there's that, that fear that not wanting to put yourself out there that thinking that you have to show up with all the right questions. I have learned, you know, I prepare for interviews with people, but I don't have a list of questions. I know what topics I want to talk about. But it's really fun to just let the conversation 
take me and to, because then I'm really listening to the other person and we have a true conversation. And it, I've discovered I, I love interviewing people. It's fantastic and fun, whereas I used to really hate it. So again, uh, some intentional practice there, practice paying attention to what worked, what didn't, trying something else, getting some advice, getting better. You know, it's, it's, it's just amazing what we can do with practice. It's just the thing it takes, though, that we're sometimes in short supply is patience as well. We want to jump up, you know, you want to launch your show and be, you know, live streaming at this level right away. And as you said, it takes time to get to that level. It takes time to get to being a very adept storyteller. It takes time to do all of this stuff. And we have to be patient with ourselves and uh, in a, it, it, we don't live in a patient world. So <laughs> No, nobody's really patient anymore, myself included. But um, I, I think what's interesting, and, you know, just as an example, I mean, I, I spend my days producing content, updating content, analyzing content, whatever, right? Analyzing conversion flows, all these different things. And I go back to content I wrote in the past, and I'm thinking, who wrote this crap? And sometimes it's six months ago. Sometimes oh, it's no. two years ago. Sometimes yeah. it's, you know, but it's not because it's truly bad, but it's because there's always something new you learn, right? How do people interact with content? What are people clicking on? Uh, what's a new format? What's a new way of showing it? I'll give you an example. Six years ago, I interviewed people just like you. And then, but we didn't do it live. We just did it in your office, right? So I would come to your office I'd interview you, and then we would do an article about the conversation. We might still do an article, or we might update an article we already have and add the comments in there. But my point is, stuff evolves. You know, five years ago, we recorded the conversations. 15 years ago, I wrote the stuff on a little bitty reporter's notebook, notepad, I guess. One time it got subpoenaed because I interviewed a murder suspect. So Ooh. my I barely have paper on my desk today, you know, so stuff changes. Now, how do we, uh, you know, other than practicing some of those things, but how else should ongoing practice look? Is it just like getting in the weeds, trying it, keep going? Or, or what other tips can you offer? Yeah, I mean, I think I think my best advice on that is to um, bring an experimental mindset to it, right? So, so just, I'm doing this experiment. I'm going to see, well, what happens if I do this? Then you get away from that that tyranny of the should you should be doing this you should be writing this much you should be sounding like this you should be doing that um say well what happens if i try it this way what happens if i try that um what happens if i write five minutes a day that's it what you know five minutes a day to storytelling i bet i can find that you know what would happen to me oh after a month after two months what would happen if i wrote a thousand words a day just free writing on a topic for a month at the end of that would i have some idea of what that book might look like um you know what so when you bring an experimental mindset uh it puts you in a different relationship with practice now it's this it's this fun experiment you're doing and you're committed to it because you're setting up this experiment you're almost a scientist but you know you're setting up this experiment and you want to see it through um, and so, you know, I think that's a great way to look at ongoing practice and it, it tends to make it fun. And you can see your things that don't work are not failures. They're like, 
Oh, I, that doesn't work at all. Okay, good to know. They become learning lessons. Um, they become lessons. So um, I think it changes your your mindset on the world and and your your the way you approach things, whether it's writing or anything you're practicing. Frankly, I think that's a fantastic mindset to go about this. I think there's some bosses. I don't have any bosses like that. Um, currently, but I know there is bosses out there. And in fact, when Michael Brenner was on the show, he talked about mean people suck. And I said, nobody ever disagrees with that comment, Michael. But but sometimes, you know, it's really hard for some bosses, some leaders to live in that world where they can just, we're experimenting, we're trying new things, you know, and and evolving publicly. I mean, I remember 10 years ago, 12 years ago in marketing, there was no evolving publicly. Like this is how you like this is the final thing we're doing, the end. And that's still the case for some big brands, right? I mean, if a big brand has a you, you know, makes a mistake on a campaign or something, I mean it they get dragged through the mud everywhere too. So very interesting. Now to wrap it up here for the last minute or so, um, I know you talked about being perfect uh, or not or evolving it. Seth talks about it. I talk about it all the time. I'm certainly not perfect. I think life is an ever-evolving um, journey. Um, is, is it even something to strive for, or, or how, do, how do you feel about that? Oh, perfect. No, I've, perfect is tempting the gods once you think you're perfect. No, <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think you just try to be better than you were last time. I try to make sure that each of my books is better than the last one. Um, I just recorded the audio book for my most recent book, and uh, I did it several months after it was published. And of course, I found a couple more typos that have eluded everybody. It's like, oh, it's not perfect. I never had expectations that it was. I do as much as I can to bring it as far as I can. And then, you know, maybe a few years from now, I'm going to look back and say, oh, I would have done that book differently now. And rather than beating yourself up over that, celebrate the fact that you're further up that learning curve. You're further along. It's perfect is a myth. Perfect, especially in a constantly changing world. Perfect is impossible. Perfect is impossible. And I do like what Seth said about it's really just being used as an excuse by a lot of people. I can't do anything until this is perfect or until this is done. That's another one of my favorite ones. I cannot write this book until my wife says hello when she comes in. I I don't know. You know what I'm saying? It's like some stupid excuse. The the perfect alignment. It's like that's never going to happen. So just kiss the book goodbye because there's never a perfect time. You know, the, the best time is now. So. The best time is now. We had a perfect time, however, on this show, and it was great to have you. Uh, thanks for sharing your insights. Really appreciate you. Thanks for having me. It was fun. That's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. Please rate and review our show on your favorite podcast channels. And don't forget to share this episode with your networks. We appreciate you. Until next time, let the best stories win. Hello. Hi. Are you still there? I have a special offer for you. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. My going live book is now available on Amazon.com. And if you're in the United States, I'm happy to send you a signed copy, which you can order at paypal.me forward slash C-T-R-A-P-P-E, C-T-R-A-P-P-E forward slash 12. 
Thanks for your interest. If you're not in the United States, I can't send you a signed copy. But of course, you can order on Amazon.com.